iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, welcome to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. I'm Hugh Wozencroft. Today, a Leicester City, the real deal in the title race. Jurgen Klopp is only human. Should he be taking some time away from football? Elsewhere, Fulham aren't going anywhere just yet. Josh Madger shows signs of saving their season. And we'll discuss some woeful memorabilia as... Well, our funniest misheards too. Uh, to help me through it all, Alison Rudd, Tom Roddy and Gregor Robertson. How are you doing? Very well, you. No, come on, guys. I wasn't a big fan of that pregnant pause there. What, what, is there a delay between <laughs> me and everyone else? What's going on here? Okay, okay, okay. It's just, it's just that if I start saying how I am, it'll go on for 20 minutes because I'm really pleased. I put I put the World Service on in the early hours this morning. And as I turned it on, this is true. I turned it on and a presenter said, is there such a thing as dyslexia of lack of direction? And the... The the boffin she was interviewing said, yes, we've done studies and there is a dyslexia for people who have no sense of direction. And that I, it was that's like that's like me being told you're not an idiot anymore, Alison. When you go into a, he said there are people who get lost in their own houses. So bad is their condition. And I still cannot go around the news building where the Times is based without getting lost. I cannot cope with large buildings. And it's a proper thing. I've got I've got directional dyslexia. Well, look, it's good to know that you've been finally diagnosed correctly. And Thank um, you. hopefully that can help you not just around the office, but around your house as well, because, you know, it, <laughs> it, it is pretty much Buckingham Palace. You know, we don't, we don't like to expose it's you. It's quite the backdrop, isn't it? <laughs> exactly, exactly. For those of you that can't see Ali's house right now, is that the West Wing? Is it Ali or is that the East? <laughs> Well, we'll have to see. We'll have to see. Um, look, let, let's get to the football. Um, Alison, I'm not sure you're going to want to hear this because there was um, some sort of directional dyslexia for Alison once again this weekend. A crazy seven minutes helping Leicester to a 3-1 win at the King Power. Uh, Leicester, though, are level on points with second place Manchester United. They seem to be growing and growing as the season goes on, unlike last year. Tom Roddy, I'll start with you. Do you think Leicester can be a big factor in the running? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the thing is you look back to kind of 2016 and that incredible year and there's there's no kind of taking away from from what they did under Claudio Ranieri at all. But you, you, you turned on Leicester or turned up at Leicester and you knew exactly what to expect. Not that the opposition could do much about it, but there seems to be a... a, a a dynamism that they have under Brendan Rodgers, they can alter quite a lot more than they did in 2016. And even yesterday, I mean, James Madison, sorry, not yesterday, Saturday, James Madison 
revealed how Rogers kind of altered what they did in midfield, uh, which led to that them them absolutely turning the game on its head at the end. He tur- he changed it to a diamond, and because he recognised the weakness that Liverpool had in in midfield, and that's what kind of strikes me about Rodgers as well is the the he's he's very kind of methodical and calm and you see him you see him impact games it's not just the the game plan for how it starts he he interjects in games and 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 changes things and it has a huge impact I think uh, Rogers might be getting a little bit upset with Madison soon. This, every every interview he gives, he kind of he's very revealing, isn't he? About Ooh. the little kind of tactical tweaks <laughs> he makes. He did the same after Chelsea. He's a brilliant interview, but it, and you know, as I say, very insightful. But Rogers might have to pull him aside and say, "Listen, will you stop giving away my little kind of <laughs> tactical tweaks here, please?" Um, but I think I think everything Tom's saying is right. Brendan Rogers even cited their adaptability this season, and that's kind of not only the little kind of changes in formation or earlier in the season when they were playing three at the back. Um, it's also when you look at the team and, and how they've had to put up with so many injuries. And that's another thing that Madison said, you know, we've had injuries too. It's just that nobody's talking about it to quite the same extent. And they had Pereira at left back, uh, who's a right back, and Amarty who's a midfielder at right back. So, um, yeah, no, I think, you know, they've not been out of the top four since September. They are absolutely... Uh, a force now in in English football, absolutely. Uh, with the title, I think, is 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 too much to talk about. But um, I would not be surprised to see them hold on to that top four berth this season. Jamie Vardy was back, Gregor, this weekend. They have lost James Justin, who we know you're a big big fan of, to an ACL injury. But you mentioned some of the the, the, the changes, but the depth, the quality to keep it going. You know, week after week with these changes, do you think they've got it? Justin was a huge loss because as a, he was so, you know, again, someone who was so, you uh, could play in so many positions um, and he's so dynamic and getting forward, he's kind of getting on the end of crosses from the right back <laughs> at the back post and brilliant, brilliant player. So really, really disappointing for him. He's had an outstanding season. But yeah, I mean, they've still got Castagna to come back. Um Mendy, who had such a good start to the season on the bench. Indeed, he was outstanding. Tielemans has taken his game to a new level, I think, playing a slightly deeper role this season. But, you know, combining the ability to kind of to break up play with his, his technique and his ability on the ball and, the, you know, springing attacks. And Harvey Barnes has just gone from strength to strength. So, I look, I think, as I say, I, I, I'm not going to say they're in the title race. I'm not going to say... I just think that this is a different kind of developing team under Rogers, and years and kind of several years of intelligent recruitment and and development and coaching under him is now kind of bearing fruit, and they're undoubtedly uh, this has been spoken about throughout the season. There's always this talk of the big six. It's no longer a big six. Leicester are firmly in among the uh, in among the kind of top teams in the country. Leicester fans might say this season top four will do. Um, but as a club, and I think Greg has alluded to it there, uh, after that title win in 2016, they're, they're amongst the best-run clubs in football, Alison, and they seem to be going from strength to strength in, in many areas. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, the original question was, you know, could they, could they do more than just secure a top-four finish? Uh, the positives about Leicester are that they, they're... 
Vardy, Madison and Barnes make me think of Liverpool's front three when they were at their most cocky. There's that sense of they that they exude a sense of it doesn't really matter what's going on. We've, we're, we're clicking. We understand each other. They're audacious and um, you you can't really recruit that. It's something that um, players have or they don't have, and then they feed off each other. So there's a sort of cheeky cheekiness to them, which um, is is I think the ingredient that if they do crack the top four this season, that'll be the reason. They've they've um, the contrast between. Liverpool's mentality and Leicester's mentality was was the starkest element of the game because yes, Leicester went behind. It wasn't just that they switched to a a diamond formation in midfield that that did it. It was because they they remained positive, and um, in all the post match interviews, the players are very very smiley, very upbeat, very confident. They don't fear anybody, and I think that probably was the big thing is, is getting over that inferiority complex because yes they have won the Premier League title but everyone called it a blip and they've had to internally make that work for them and not not sort of regard it as as, as sort of just some sort of fairy tale that could never possibly happen again They're, because you've won it once you can you can recruit people you know it, if you've got some young players abroad who are thinking oh a chance to go to the Premier League and they've got choices they've heard of Leicester now whereas they wouldn't have before the the miracle season so they they've they've they've, they've, they've been, and they've been gradual about it as well there's no sense of panic if it takes another four years five years to crack it they you feel they'll the ownership would give it that length of time so it's a really interesting I think uh, mix of patience from the top but on the pitch and impatience and that when you get that working it's it's it is quite impressive actually i've gonna to have to list down cheekiness as, as a, a reason why teams are successful in the future alison is that, is that just a polite way of saying cockiness swagger swag is it that? yeah but you know what i mean i mean you 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 they're fearless they beam they beam, they beam don't they and it's not and it's not you don't you don't look at them and think well i don't like them they're over cocky it's a, it's a, it's more of a cheeky, chirpy, chappy. It's nice. It's a nice even, thing. Even Brendan Rodgers, Alison. He obviously has matured since he, he Liverpool, Liverpool job came too early for him, and he, he he tried too hard. And I still think there is an element of him trying too hard. Um, he, I mean, Gregor says he might be cross um, that James Madison gives away too much, but he gives away too much sometimes. So That's true. That's he true. should, he should, he should not have said. I don't think. Maybe I'm being overcritical. I don't think he should have said we had a plan for when we went behind. That, to me, speaks volumes of someone who overthinks it and is expecting to go behind and is trying to cover all the bases. And then also wants you to know, oh, it's my idea. It's my idea. Let's everyone remember. I, I, I want everyone to know that I, I did something. I had a plan. Look, it worked. It worked. It worked. He does. He does shout and wave, wave too much above, you know, above the parapet. Um, but he's he's nowhere near as as ludicrous as he was when he was manager of Liverpool. In that sense, he's definitely, definitely, definitely learning. Let's quickly look uh, at Liverpool then. Uh, Rogers' former team, Tom. Three league defeats in a row for them. 
Is this bigger than a dip, do you think? Because if Chelsea, if West Ham, if Everton and Villa, although unlikely, all win their games in hand, Liverpool will be eighth in the table. That's That would be massively unexpected, wouldn't it? I mean, you, you can't... You couldn't imagine at the beginning of this season the possibility of Liverpool finishing outside the top four, could you? I mean, I, I remember at the beginning of the season when we did our predictions and it, it always feels a bit kind of unnecessary to an extent or impossible more to an extent because, you know, you just don't know how it's going to play out and who could have foreseen what's happened this season. And I went with Liverpool as champions for the sole reason of Virgil van Dijk. He felt like the difference to me and losing him was huge. And But the injuries and the, the knock-on effect that has, because they've not just lost their centre-backs. I mean, it was the, I think it was the 16th different combination of centre-backs they had for the Leicester game. But it's not just that. It's the the midfield they've now lost their midfield as well because they're the ones dropping back into into defense and it it totally totally takes out the philosophy and the system in which Jurgen Klopp wants to play they can't they can't press they can't do what they what they do what makes them successful um i mean it's 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 quite it's sad to see to an extent, even though most people you know want to see a, a champion get knocked um, and yeah it's an it's it would be it would it would be a disaster to see them finish outside the top four, but there have been huge mitigating circumstances Alison lots is being made by some that Jurgen Klopp has become the favorite with one bookmaker to be the next manager out of a job, and it comes off the back of the the very sad news of his mother's death. Our condolences to the, the Klopp family um, and his inability to go to her funeral as well. Um, he, he does seem like the situation at the moment is it's clearly very difficult, but it seems like it's maybe a little bit harder for him. It is just a job at the end of the day, Alison. Do you think Jurgen Klopp should be taking a small break from it right now? I suspect he'd say, and what would I do with my break? He can't go home. He can't see the other members of his family. He he can't travel back to his homeland so he would he would no I, I i can't imagine under any circumstances he would he would want to do that it's but it's a catch 22 because if if the well if there wasn't if there wasn't a pandemic then i think he 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 would then have taken time out albeit a short amount of time to go to go home and he'd be allowed to do it and if there wasn't a pandemic the Liverpool fans would be able to play their part in making him realise it didn't. You know, the results did not matter at a time like this, and they would they would be singing his name, even though he's always told them not to do it. There would be a lot of love for him, and it would be very palpable and tangible. And um, the the idea that he was a manager at risk wouldn't even even with these results wouldn't wouldn't be something we'd be talking about because you'd get that overwhelming sense of the club are very grateful for everything he's done and if they're having a difficult time, heck, we're all in this together. But I would like to say, I think this is part of a society problem that is much bigger than Liverpool results and the bereavement that Jurgen Klopp is going through. We we give people statutory pay, paid leave if they have life if they give 
earth, if there is life in there, life. We do not, let, as a society, let people go away on paid leave if they suffer a loss, a bereavement, which is arguably much more difficult to cope with than having new life in the house. We, we, treat, we treat death as something we just don't want to talk about. It's very awkward. And there's this bizarre idea that everyone would react the same way. Uh, it's, it's really strange. And it's only very, very recently that if, as a parent, you gave birth to a stillborn child, you were still allowed to take time off work. Up until last year, you were not. So you could have two families. One had a bouncing baby and they could take their paternity, maternity leave. And the other family gave birth and the child's dead and they have to go back to work the next day. And you're expected to work in this country, um, you know, no matter if a sibling dies or your parent dies or whatever. And then when it comes to someone famous, we all talk about it in ways that we don't really understand. Um, you know perfectly well that if someone high profile ducks out of public life because of bereavement, they will be seen as weak as well because we just don't, we don't view death correctly in this country, just rather not talk about it. Gregor, what do you think? You've been in, in football, it's a pressurised job and environment. How, how would it be seen if if Jürgen Klopp took some time away? Do you agree? I don't think it would be seen in a in a bad light or seen as a as weakness, personally. I think there may be some ex, kind of external noises that would perhaps point to that. But I don't think within a, within a football club, within the changing room, I don't think there would be any thoughts like that at all, no. Um, I don't. I just think. I think you know the the word that's most frequently been used in association with Liverpool over the last few years is like they're a machine, and what we're seeing now is that they're not they're humans, and it, whether it's someone bereave, in bereavement <laughs> um, who's just lost a, a member of family, whether it's I, I don't know. There's 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 things about the psychology. That's one of the things I've talked about most on this podcast is that. You know, you can be as talented a footballer as the best footballer in the world, but seventy percent of football is about what's going on in between your ears. And you look at the things that Alison or Alison is doing now that looks are sort of character. That looks like something that's I don't know something that's going on in his head rather than he's not turned into a goalkeeper who makes mad decisions overnight. That looks like something going on in his head. You look the kind of confidence is drained by the loss of big players like Van Dyke. Uh, again, with the fear to Madison, he said that, you know, they, they don't have Henderson and Fabinho in the midfield anymore. So opposition look at that and think this is not the same team we're playing against. They're not, there's a weakness there. So that, that's something, you know, opponents look at. And from a psychological kind of point of view, they're, they have a bit more belief. So you're just seeing that Liverpool are kind of, well, they have their they have their weaknesses and flaws and their human flaws, and um, I, I'm not that's that's not in reference to Jurgen Klopp. Jurgen Klopp. I just mean that uh, the kind of the psychological aspect of the game is something that I think we're seeing has come to the fore this season with all the all the various issues that they've had to go through and the the injuries and the the workloads um, having gone from such a high, the high of the last three years to trying to maintain that in itself as a challenge. So I just think we're seeing all of these things come to the fore for Liverpool now. Another thing, I, I agree, Gregor, but another thing is that I think um, Klopp is such an avuncular manager. He's someone who, he's, if you look at the interaction between all 
Premier League managers and their players. I think he's the one who's most paternalistic. Um, the, the you know gives loads of hugs. He he nurtures. He's a giver of protection and emotion. And at a time when he clearly is feeling fragile, he's he's unable probably to fulfil that role as effectively. So but so what you have is a group of players who've been uh, looked after by a very strong personality who might be distracted or or distressed and they're they're trying hard to um make it easier for him but if you try too hard i think that's what you get with Alison, for example he clearly was trying too hard to to take some of the burden off klopp and maybe show that they can do it even when he's struggling and that dynamic has, has gone slightly wrong because it's new for them. They've had a very powerful, emotionally intelligent boss who's wavered slightly. Lots of other things have gone wrong as well. It's just become too much. And um, but I think I think they're a team that have been successful because of the strength of character of their manager. So when there's a, a slight shift in the balance there, they haven't been able to quite do it. And that's why you get um, the sort of things that Trent. Trent said about, you know, we showed weakness, we haven't to do that. Mo Salah put out a tweet saying, you know, don't worry, we this isn't going to define our season. I mean, they're, they're trying to, to rally, and I believe they will. I just don't think it could possibly get any worse than those final few minutes against Leicester. Yeah, I believe they will too. I don't think, you know, there's a lot of talk about them not finishing the top four. I just think there's too many, too many good players, too many experienced players. There's too, they're too good a team. I think it would be an extraordinary collapse if they didn't, if that didn't happen. And I just think that you know, we, we everyone gets carried away. There's people getting carried away in Manchester United top of the table, and then we see what happens now. I think you, usually you see the real kind of character of a team over an extended period of time, and I believe we will see that from Liverpool. And although it's a sad and difficult situation, I think Liverpool as a club now are, are in that mode of response. I mean, they will start fighting back. There will be a collective effort because that's that's the club and that's the group of players. They've shown it. So, yeah, if, if they reel off five wins, you know, on the bounce very, very soon, it wouldn't surprise me whatsoever. Um uh, Tom, just quickly on Jurgen Klopp's post-match comments conceding the title. Uh, it's not massively surprising, except maybe some would say that that's not really what he would usually do. Um, did it surprise you in any way? I think the thing that, well, it didn't particularly surprise me, but he, he just, he sounded exhausted in in most of the, the kind of interviews that I heard. Um, and maybe as well, the, the, we saw the kind of tetchiness before we knew about the, the actual personal situation he had. We, we, we kind of saw the tetchiness that he's had. Um, and so uh, I wasn't sure whether he, where he was saying, I can't believe I'm saying this, whether it was a case of him needing to say it, you know, that I needed to say that we're, we're conceding, conceding the title. Um, with regards to the, to him having a break, I, I just wonder whether we'd kind of consider this idea as well. Um, if, if everything was going so well for Liverpool, um, I mean, Alisson makes the perfectly um, perfect points about the way in which we as a society deal with death. But I mean, in terms of him and Liverpool 
if it was if there weren't so many injuries, if it hadn't have gone so badly recently, um, whether we'd actually be questioning this or, or whether we'd be talking about it as much as we are. This is one aspect of the Liverpool story this season, and it's just another one, another kind of, you know, another another blow to them, uh, and another another blow to their kind of their psyche. I think they're, that's what's been so powerful, as Alison was saying. That's what's been so powerful about them. They Klopp called them, the, you know, calls them the mentality monsters, and that's been diminished for many reasons. And this is another one. And of course, it's a massive, massive week for them as well, because you know we. I, I kind of uh, watching him talk. I felt sorry for him, and and did I felt like he needed a break in terms of a bit of time, not not necessarily how 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 we're discussing it, but just needed a bit of a bit of time a week away. Um, and of course, they got Leipzig and Everton. It's and and you just you, if if they lose those games, it just it begins to spiral, doesn't it? It's a good point. We'll see if Liverpool, uh, Tom, can get themselves back into the picture. Certainly, they're in the top four at the moment, but defeat to Leicester uh, still a blow as as Leicester are right up there as well. Uh, there was a big moment in the game as well. James Madison's goal, which went in, then wasn't a goal, then was a goal. Uh, difficult for VAR to judge exactly where the line is, uh, if you know what I mean. No puns intended. Gregor Robertson, it was a, it was a case study, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, Klopp's obviously, um, people are saying he's got some kind of x-ray specs or something now uh, on Monday morning because <laughs> he he was certain that it wasn't offside despite what VAR said. I kind of agree. I feel the first thing we've said before is that, you know, it's impossible, almost impossible, it seems, to, to judge when the foot strikes the ball. And to freeze the frame, and you know we don't have the technology to really be to say that definitively. But the second thing is, if you just looked with your with the naked eye, and you know Leicester players are, are kind of leaning forward first of all, and their momentum is that way, and all you have is an outstretched foot of a Liverpool player um, who's who is who's leaning backwards essentially. So. You know, as I say, the, the 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 direction of travel is different, and so what happens within, as Klopp said, within a, a fraction of a second, is that they are miles apart. One player is not ever going to reach the ball. In fact, the Liverpool player. So, you know, it just seems to. <laughs> I don't think there's ever been a better example of even offside, and even with VAR, are not necessarily completely objective. They ha- there has to. I've just I've never seen a, a an incident yet and thought so much. I just think just we need to just do away with these lines. We don't need to have them. Just if you freeze in it as best you can, look at it, look at the incident and and look at it with the naked eye. I don't think there needs. I don't think there's any point in having no, we, the lines we, we, anymore. We definitely need the lines. Why? No, 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 no. I've, I've said it a billion times. I have to say it again. The VAR is supposed to prevent gross miscarriages of justice. Exactly. And in this is instance, they have created a gross miscarriage of justice because they've created an offside that nobody but a machine would say is offside. Exactly. And the machine is not accurate enough to rely upon it anyway. Exactly. So there is no such thing as a an objective decision now in offside, unless there unless it's really blatantly clear. And these in marginal offsides, there's no such thing. It doesn't exist. So why are we why are we drawing lines when they're not? It's not it's not definitive. Just look at the incident. Another and it matters as well. It does matter whether, as I say, the the Leicester players are moving forward. They're moving towards the goal, and the Liverpool player is not. And it's an outstretched toe. He couldn't ever. He couldn't ever reach the ball. So, 
I, I, just, it just, I've never seen that was it really it blew my mind a little bit I thought I don't know how I don't know how, how we have ever got to this situation to be quite so honest so let me get, get, get this straight let me make sure I'm understanding you it, the goal stood yes and you agree with that it should have been offside you think it should have been offside and Alison you think the goal should have been chalked off or stood of course it should have been chalked off right so you both think it was offside because of the foot, whose foot was it? Firmino's was it? Firmino or Thiago? I'm not. I can't remember. No, it's Firmino. Firmino was was judged to have been playing everybody onside. Right. In 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 a, in a ridiculous in a in the one of many ridiculous decisions. Because the point is, if you, we oh goodness me, in what way do you create? The, VAR has created a situation there which nobody else in the world would have said was 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 valid. I mean, we needed questioning. It, 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 it's created something new. It's created a new situation where no one saw it. Therefore, VAR is creating miscarriages of justice. The point is, you're supposed to come away from a game thinking, oh, there were no howlers there. It, in, so in what way is, is trying forensically to find, to find a means to, 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 to overturn what everyone else can see? Well, so, I would have said it was onside because of the foot because of the pictures that I saw on VAR. You know perfectly well you didn't see a foot. There was no, no foot that, that the naked eye could see. Right, so there was no, so, that, so that's why we think it wasn't offside because we couldn't see, you couldn't see the foot. No, two reasons, two, three reasons. The foot One was is, never going to get the ball either. The, yeah, the, 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 the mechanism of timing the connection with the free kick and where Firmino's boot was at exactly the same moment seems to be in doubt. Yeah, also, as, as Gregor said, as, as you're looking at it, you can see there are loads of Leicester players leaning in. There's no Liverpool player leaning in or in any position to connect with the ball. They're moving if that you, way. If you, if you were the lines, if you were the lines assistant referee, you would be. You wouldn't see. You wouldn't see Firmino's foot at all. So, in what way is, has VAR corrected a, uh, an injustice? They haven't corrected injustice. No one would have. If there'd been a crowd there, no one would have left thinking. Whoa, what a howler. No one on television thought, whoa, what a howler. They created a situation that did not exist to the naked eye. Uh, so also, you've, you've poo-pooed my idea of, of scrapping the lines. Tell me why. Well, I think we need the lines. And I don't think in most cases, and I can understand your points on this specific case, but in most cases, because, because the, because, well, listen, we, we might not need to see the lines, but I don't mind if Stockley Park has a look at the lines. I've always said before, I think there should be a margin of error, a bit like umpire's call, where if it is so incredibly tight, it goes with the on-field decision. I've always argued that, but I don't see how taking the lines away massively changes either of your either of your points. Like it would still stand whether the lines were there or not, in my opinion. Do you see what I mean? Like it was as close without the lines being drawn on the field or, but, or but, not. But what you're doing is looking for the point at which his toe it stops and whether that falls and lines up with someone's armpit or something. If the lines aren't there, then you're looking at a little outstretched foot and you're looking at players moving towards the goal and they look, you know... Oh, I, <laughs> listen, I, I agree with you. I've seen, I've seen some of them. Stuart Armstrong's, I think, the other week, a, a goal that was disallowed, but was that maybe at Old Trafford, with a ball that, like, a duffel bag, basically, on, on the picture. You know, it was... It was it was clearly already moving the ball, so he already made contact with it. But on the free frame before, he clearly hadn't. So, you know, for me, it was so tight that it couldn't have been offside. You know, they just couldn't have told, been able to tell. Um, 
and I've seen others where players' feet look like basically clown shoes. I mean, it's like if you if your if your still image comes up and it looks like that, then I think you should be that should be in the umpire's call region. You know, where it's like clearly there is a movement going on there, and we can't judge. If fair enough, if it, if you see a foot on the still and you can see the blood, the Adidas lines or the the night tick on the side of the boot, and it's clear then I think, fine, draw the lines. But I think if it's clearly a, a moving situation where you there is a margin of error, a clear margin of error, a bit like the weekend, yeah, fair enough, I'll take on both of your points, then that should fall in the sort of umpire's call bracket. If the goal is given, you go, it's massively unlucky. If the goal isn't given, you just, you know, that's basically football before VAR. And I think there still needs to be that. You're right, Gregor, if it is objective, there, there needs to be some sort of margin of error or leeway where VAR can say, look, we, we just don't know. And and look, the, the, the desire to come up with 100% um, decision-making is probably the real issue there. And look, it's going to continue. I don't see any massive changes coming. We'll not even discuss the, the Manchester United one where Maguire was was offside, but they started judging whether there was a free kick or not. Just forgetting that it was offside. Seemed to sort of overlook that aspect. There's no point in looking at the freak. I, I just I just can't believe where we've got to at the moment. <laughs> I know we discussed last week about how the officials are in a difficult position, but my God, it's making the game blooming tough to watch at times. That was just, you know, there was the whole, there was the minutiae of whether he was on the line, Harvey Barnes, to get the, you know, a free kicker apparently as well beforehand. So he took both incidents, you're like, and again, let's defer to Madison again. He was, he was really enjoyable. He was like, I didn't have a clue what was going on in the pitch. And, you know, the referee wasn't filling me with much confidence either because he didn't. So, goodness me. Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> Fair to say, not a stellar review from Gregor Robertson <laughs> of the weekend VAR decision. But remember, you can give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast from. And you can get yourself a digital subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times right now on all of your devices. Sign up today. You'll get one month free. Just go online, search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game to get started. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Next up on the game, let's take a look further down the table. Um, It's a tale of two teams this weekend. One with a missing piece. The other has filled that void, though. Fulham beat Everton 2-0 thanks to a Josh Madger double on his Premier League debut. Some of you might remember him from Sunderland Till I Die, by the way. He escaped the sinking ship. Uh, While Brighton had 26 shots against Aston Villa in a goalless draw at the Amex, they have only managed four goals in their last eight Premier League games. Uh, Gregor, let's start with Fulham. They were missing a focal point before the January window. They went out and they got one, basically. And that, I think, could well be the difference for them going forward. 
certainly promising signs um, of as much. I mean, Madge has had an interesting career. He's he's uh, he was he was superb for Sunderland and Sunderland fans. You know, anyone as well who watched the documentary kind of remember how devastated they were. They think they might have been promoted to the championship if he'd stayed. Um, and it's not it didn't really it's not really happened for him in France. Um, but he's clearly a talented player and. Um, you know his, his movement was excellent. He kind of led the line very well, held the ball up, brought people into play. So, and you know, Paul Joyce's report this morning said that um, I think Fulham were twelfth in, in uh, the table for attempts on goal, and but they've had the lowest conversion rate, seven percent, which kind of says all oh, they've played. You know, we've said this for a number of weeks about Fulham. They've played some some good football, and they've been good to watch, and they've created chances. They've just not put them away, and and uh, you know, I think. I think really the first the player they were going for was Josh King, um, who obviously went to Everton instead, and and Maja was the Maja was the second choice. But I think Maja, you know, he's, he's someone who's got potential too at a young age and a good future ahead of him. So you look at you look at Fulham's team, and as I say, they've got they've got a lot of attacking, dangerous players. You know, Loftus Cheek, Lukeman, uh Majova Cordova Reed has been really he's not he's not prolific, but he's someone who's 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 been a really good player for them this season, um, and yeah, there's a good balance about the team. So it's going to be tough. It's, we had this discussion last week about the three teams. Every, a lot, so much has gone on this season, and those three teams have been the constant in the bottom three. And Fulham are going to have to put on a uh, a pretty impressive run of form if they're to if they're to get out of it. But they certainly that was certainly a huge win for them. And if Magic can keep scoring the goals, then it's going to have a a, a massive massive impact for them. You think they could stay up, Tom? No, no, I don't <laughs> think so. Seven-point gap right now to Newcastle. Yeah, it needs to be a big swing. Um, it's funny, isn't it? The I mean, January is is always the hardest month to do any business, but it's always such an important month for those clubs at the bottom. And you see Fulham go out and get Madger and West Brom go and get uh, Diana. Um and they're two totally different types of player, but they both of them could, they are going to be the key for if either of them are going to survive. Um, you see Magi Yestak, I can't believe he's 22, the way he moves, you know, it, it kind of, it, this is far too much of a compliment, but it reminds me of... It reminded me of watching Man United and Cavani, the impact he had on them with his movement as a striker, um, because they had they have all a lot of elements in that in that Fulham side. I mean, Harrison Reed is just brilliant, um, but they were just missing that goal scorer, and Madger seems to to provide that. And he was he was kind of seen as you referred to um, Hugh as that Netflix documentary. And he was he was kind of seen or his 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 team were kind of seen as the the villains in that a little bit. Um, but he, he's gone away which and come back and he just he looks like a real quality player. And if they are going to stay up, it will be up to him. Yeah, it was just that element of movement, I think, at Fulham, when I've watched them, you know, a, a, a presence in the box that just drew teams away, as good as Mitrovic is, as sort of, you know, especially in the air, you know, he just didn't have that constant movement, I think, with the likes of Lookman, Loftus-Cheek around him, De Cordova-Reed, 
that he can make a big impact, especially as the others, they just seem to miss big chances at key moments, as good as they are, the likes of Lookman and Loftus-Cheek and and Reid. Alison, let's reflect on Everton for a second. I thought Fulham were excellent once again, and that striker could be a big difference for them. But you were surprised about the way Everton approached the game. I did tweet out in indignation, had they for some reason decided to treat Fulham like a palate cleanser because it, it was as though they, they, they've got big games on the horizon. <laughs> they, they thought, oh, well, you know, we had that incredible FA Cup uh, win. I can imagine what happened. I can imagine Ancelotti thinking, right, OK, we conceded four goals. I don't want them getting overexcited about how good they are. Let's just take it patient. Let's get Fulham out of the way. And then we can concentrate on on the derby. And um, it was it was as though it was as though they just they, uh, uh, teams never admit they treat the opposition with a lack of respect. But I did feel that Everton was so pedestrian. The entire team it was like um, an uh, an Italian Syria team from uh, the mid nineteen nineties, built around no pace whatsoever. It was just very uh, walking football. At times it was walking football. I mean, walking football is a thing and it looked like that. There was no, no, pace, no pace in the team. There, there was uh, uh, oh, no personality. Uh, I go on about it all the time, but you, can't, you cannot play Hamas Rodriguez and Gilfie Sigurdsson in the same team. And I think, and results prove that, by the way. And... Um, I think Ancelotti thought, well, if I still make Gilfie the focal point, he sort of played almost as a false number nine at times, but he was the central creative figure and I'll push Rodriguez wide, then maybe I'll solve it that way. But it, 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 all he did was, was sort of neutralise both players. There was zero creativity whatsoever. And uh, anyway, you can't. what's the point of having two creative players on the pitch if no one's running for them? You, you can only be creative if someone makes the run or sort of dares you to drag back the ball and then, you know, not make someone or do something exciting. If you're all wandering around, wandering around in isolation, nothing can happen. So I thought there was a... A dismissiveness of the opposition. Let's get this one over with. Let's not be too overexcitable because we were too overexcited against Spurs, and it completely backfired. It was, it was, it was dreadful. It was really dreadful. It's one of the worst performances I've seen from uh, a team this season. Seriously, seriously. Given, given that they should, you, what you're supposed to do if you come through an exciting, thrilling FA Cup game is treat that as momentum. No. No, it was as though they wanted to deliberately ignore anything that, that could have come from that. I suppose they, they're, they talk about having had two hours on the pitch. That's what half the interviews were were afterwards. And then Ancelotti just said, sometimes you've got to hold your hands up and say you're playing against a better team. Um, but, you know, Luke Allison's right. Uh, whether or not, you know, two hours of, uh, you know, a, a, a tough game in the FA Cup um, which should make that much difference, I don't know. But um, in fact, I do. It shouldn't. Uh, <laughs> so, but I think I think really predominantly you should, you've got to give credit to Fulham, and I think it's been interesting the way this team's kind of evolved as well. You you, you might have to correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I'm looking at the team. I think there's two players from the Championship last season, and Reed and and Cordova Reed, and really the rest of the team is 
is all new. They're all new signings. They're all, and and that was what they were kind of lambasted for in their previous season in the top flight. You know, blowing a hundred million. A lot of it done very late, late notice in the in the transfer window, and kind of disrupting the the dressing room and the you know what what they what they'd achieved in getting winning promotion. Um, and they've really kind of done it again. They've just done it a lot better. They've you know the signings have made an impact. As I say, Loftus Cheek has been has been really really good. Lukman is a real threat. He's a, absolutely a you know a kind of top half Premier League player. I think Lukman. Um, Areola's have been, been really good in, in goal. Um, you know, I just I think they've just kind of the way the team has evolved has been quite interesting this year. And and on top of all that, Scott Parker has kind of he's not really left his principles. He still wants to dominate the ball. As he did in the championship, and sometimes that was a used as a kind of stick to beat him with. It was kind of pass, pass, pass. But where are you going? And they don't really th- this season. There seems to be a little bit more kind of dynamism, I would say. And I, I think part of that, as he alluded to, Hugh, was 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 having Mitrovic up front. A lot of their play revolved around getting Joe Bryan, particularly forward, whipping cross in the box, and Mitrovic getting his getting his head on it. And I'm not sure that's really that's. That's working for them in the Premier League, so they're 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 more dynamic looking team this season. And you know, who knows if Magis Magis scores the goals and he's hit the ground running? Who knows? I could I could say that about all the teams in the bottom three, though. Unfortunately, it's going to be an interesting running. I do think Fulham could do it, and I think they deserve to be able to to escape this season. I'm so impressed with the way Scott Parker has thrown out <laughs> he's thrown out physically thrown out defenders so he's thrown out the personnel he's changed the shape and he keeps changing the shape so he's sort of solidified with a back five then you realize that wasn't getting him uh, enough penetration so he's gone to a back four but every time he's made the changes the team don't stutter so they must be so well drilled in training so we we, we end up praising the way that Fulham are um, they're nice to watch. They're easy on the eye. The possession stats are excellent. Actually, it's the boring stuff. It's getting the defence to be really, you know, they hold the line so well. They're so disciplined at the back and they're able to uh, change. It brings in different people. Um, he's not scared to drop fan favourites. To do all that, and, you know, defensively, you've got to say, they're just too solid for it. Usually teams go down because they're defensively defensively rubbish, but they're not. They're really good, so they deserve to stay up. And I think they might just do it on goal difference. I think it represents uh, watching Fulham um, yesterday and the way they played. I couldn't believe I was watching a team in the bottom three of the Premier League. Um, usually, when you see a team get there, was it their third win of the season? Usually, when you 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 see that, it's through. A big man in the box pumped up to him, and, a, and that smash and grab traditionally. And the way in which Fulham are, are playing, it represents the way in which the, the Premier League has changed to an extent. Um, you know, Mitrovic for five years ago, maybe even less than that, Mitrovic would have been seen as that typical January signing. Get him in. He'll get him in the box and he'll score the goals. Pump it into him, and he'll score the goals that can save us. Whereas now. 
it feels like it's it's changing and, and clubs are taking different ethoses in, in the way in which they're approaching it. Because I think partly because they're hoping it'll take them on to, to bigger and better things. And that's that's represented no more than what we've seen at Brighton because Chris Uton played a certain style of football which was very uh, defensive. And instead of before they dropped into that bottom three, they acted then. Um, and if I were, Hugh, you mentioned about them scoring, I think, was it four goals in their last eight games? If, if, if I were the, the, the press relations man at uh, Brighton, I'd be saying, well, that was the Villa game, was their club record six games unbeaten in the Premier League in a row. Um, so they, they've kind of maintained that defensive solidity while playing some really nice football. And if they had a striker who could score score the goals, then I think they would be developing up the league. Well, we've, we've spoken about how well Brighton have played under Graham Protter this season. Clearly, after this weekend, they do need someone to stick the ball in the back of the net. But they do play with a sense of style, Gregor. They're one of those teams a bit like Sheffield United that makes me think this could well be the most high quality Premier League yet, you know, with those very specific styles of football. What do you think? It's funny, isn't it? We were talking, of, we were talking earlier in the season when there was a bit of doom and gloom, no fans, everyone's going, God almighty, what is this the worst Premier League I've ever seen? Or is it the weirdest because of all the mad score lines in it? But it has been really, it has been excellent. I, I said this the other week, it's kind of, for many years, the most of the bottom half of the Premier League has been defined by kind of the fear of relegation. And it doesn't look that way this season. Part of that is because three of the teams are cut adrift a, a little bit at the moment. But, you know, if you look up Brighton, Southampton in 13th, Wolves, Leeds, Arsenal, Villa this season, Everton, you know, I'd say only, you know, who are the teams? Burnley have a, their, Burnley have their own unique style. Newcastle are one of the worst teams to watch. Sorry, Newcastle fans. I think you probably agree with me, though. Um, but I still think they'll have enough to survive. Um, Palace are kind of, you know, they're a bit inconsistent, but they can be a joy to watch at times with Zaha and Ezi and and, and the rest. Um, and as you say, the, even the teams in the, even the team who were bottom of the Premier League have kind of refound a bit of what their odd identity was and and they're a good watch, Sheffield United. And so are Fulham. I mean, West Brom are, are managed by Sam Allardyce and we all know what, what to expect and that's that that's kind of part of the tapestry of, of Premier League football it has been for many years but absolutely I think when you look at you look at the kind of makeup and how also how tight it is in the, in the, at the top top end as well this, this year the kind of improvement of West Ham the improvement of Everton despite Alisson's lambasting of them there the improvement of Aston Villa you know Leeds United's addition absolutely I think it's been been a really exciting uh, really exciting league to watch this year. Tom, would you agree? There's a lot of teams towards the bottom half I'd pay to watch. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the thing is as well, we've we were getting to a point in the Premier League, I say getting, we we've probably been there for quite a while, where you'd you'd get halfway through the season and you'd it already worked out where it was going. You could predict the top six. You'd have those mid-table teams and the teams battling for the bottom. And although it's maybe slightly towards that this year, there's no, you know, there's no, there aren't as many predictable outcomes um, as there have been in recent years. I mean, 
summed up by that Aston Villa Liverpool game. I, I still can't get over that, however many months on now. Um, but that's and that's how it is this year. The the high scoring just makes unpredictable outcomes, which is brilliant for us watching, and it it feels a little bit more like the Championship in a way. Absolutely. Well, I'd, look, it's going to be a great end to the season, and I think if those clubs towards the bottom keep playing football like this. We could see what was an incredible start to the season turn into an incredible end to the season as well. Newcastle fans would probably be the ones to worry most at the moment, though, the way things are going. Uh, I'm sure we'll discuss them at length before the end of the season as well. Um, But next up, we're going to lighten the mood. We know it's been quite heavy on the game podcast over the last few weeks, including a little bit earlier on today. Um, But we're going to have some fun from here on out because realistically, you don't know us personally, but I can tell you we're 24-hour party people. Um, We're going to start with... Well, after some of the woeful tack that came to light from Spurs last week, like a Spurs snugsy Eric Dyer mini-me doll and some of their EFL Cup finalists merchandise that even Jose Mourinho said he wouldn't buy, uh, we thought we'd share our experiences of football clubs and grounds up and down the country with some of our worst memorabilia. Tom, I'll start with you. What have you seen? I couldn't quite believe this one. I really had to check it, to be honest. But they had, um, when West Ham were leaving Upton Park, and, and we know how, how many years on now, we know how much that impacted their fans. Um, it was marked by being able to buy a foam hand of the bowling ground and sold by, I can't remember the goalkeeper now, but the, the goalkeeper was how it was advertised, him holding up these foam hands of the bowling ground. And I thought of West Ham fans now with the London Stadium and how they feel about it with their foam hand in the corner of their back room from that year that they left. And it probably just rubs it in even more, doesn't it? <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, Gregor, you used to d- do something like this with a journeyman column. You must have seen a lot. Yeah, that's, that's some of my most hard-hitting journalism, yeah. Um, <laughs> there was a little side panel in the column saying kind of weird, you know, famous moment, weirdest thing in the club shop was one of them. And uh, I thought there was, I also found that, you know, you there was, I think, probably there's one supplier for most of the EFL. So every every club shop has car mats, <laughs> car mats with a kind of giant club crest emblazoned on them, really classy, and lots of garden gnomes as well. Seen lots of garden gnomes. Um, I, d- I came across one thing on li- online as well, which was a, um, a, a a a puma boot, which was a kind of Mario Balotelli. Uh, Ode to Mario Balotelli, it had kind of his little Mohicans, a little furry bit on the heel, and why always me emblazoned on the side? <laughs> probably the tackiest sounded football I've ever seen. So, um, yeah, that's probably up there. I think. Alison, what about you? Well, what one fan's tack is another fan's treasured possession. I don't think we should be too snooty, but. Um... I, you think you buy a Spurs snugsy Eric Dyer doll to cuddle at night? <laughs> well, if I wanted to do that, I think I'd like you to respect me for wanting to do that. <laughs> but if you could, if you could, if I could give you a tour of my mansion, which is not, by the way, but um, when you come in, I've got a, a hall and I've got a hall table and. Um, <laughs> it's got, got a table in the hall. <laughs> it's got a mirror. It's got a mirror on it and. 
very subtly wedged into the gap between the wood and the mirror is my ticket from Istanbul. So it's very subtle, it's very classy. Somebody somewhere will probably think that's tacky. Just so you know, when house parties are back, it's going to go missing one day. <laughs> <laughs> no one, no one would dare. And then you carry on down the hall, down a few steps, and there is a photograph, which again is very subtle, and most people don't notice it. But it's the con- it's a framed contact sheet from the photographs that were taken when Alison met Alison, which. You know, it was one of the most fun things I have ever done. And he was such such a good sport. So there's loads of silly photographs of us fighting over the ball and wearing each other's gloves and being silly. And um, so there's loads of little tiny, they're only tiny pictures, but they're all sort of, they're all there. Click, 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 click. See, I think that's really classy, but someone might say that's very egocentric or a bit showy-offy or tacky, but no, no. And so that is, that is more or less all I've, dared or wanted to put out publicly everything else is is um in my office which is a very private place or in this all my shirts are in drawers i think it's about i think memorabilia is about it's about what it means to you emotionally and if if someone gets a kick looking at their fridge magnet which says spurs have made it to the carabao cup final if that makes them happy then let them let them do it i mean we all know it's naff but somebody somewhere is getting joy from it i'm sure what's the worst football anything that someone's bought you yeah, I, look we, people know that we work in in the game and it seems to be like a go-to gift a pair of socks or you know, a, a, to be honest, mine's probably a fake shirt from Singapore or something like that. But generally speaking, yeah. uh, can you think of the worst yeah. football present you've been gifted? I'm, I'm putting you all on the spot now. My fiance's um, dad bought me a Rangers keyring, which was, uh, and, and being a Rangers fan, you know, it was slightly tetchy when we first <laughs> when I first visited the Cunningham household. <laughs> and I, I grew up as a Celtic fan, in case anyone wants to know. But, um, so yes, that was. Uh, that's probably the worst thing that so anyone's ever given split, me. You're a split household. We are indeed, yes. yes. Wow. So I, hold, I bear no grudges. And your child will support <laughs> which club? Don't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> Putting you right on the spot. Um, something else, just as a, a bit of fun as well. Uh, those of you that don't know, last week on social media, Johnny Northcroft was was violently misquoted by our producer, John Jackson, who's listening in the background. Um we actually, yeah, we misquoted the word human as fuming, which totally changed the context context of what he was saying. So he had to remind us, uh, by the way, guys, I, I didn't say that. And we thought off the back of it, we'd discuss our football misheards or misquotes, which used to be a common thing. Uh, maybe not so much anymore. Uh, Alison, any funny misheards? Uh, is it, Tom Roddy will probably just not understand what I'm talking about because he's so young. But um, about... About 20 years ago, my boss on the Times sports desk uh, was asked to address the Liberal Democrat uh, annual party conference. So he thought, oh, no, I don't want to do it. I'll get Alison to do it instead. (laughs) Oh, dear. So I'm driving down to, I think it was in Brighton, or it might have been Bournemouth, and it was on the south coast. And um, I was thinking... Oh, God, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, who, who are they to listen to me? It was about the future of grassroots sport. I was thinking, I think probably what I need to do is break the ice, get them on my side with something funny. Yeah, that's what I'll do. So uh, I got there and it was a packed 
packed hall and there was a panel and I spoke second and um, I was beginning to feel a bit confident because the guy who'd spoken first was blooming boring, let's face it. So it was my turn. It was my turn. So I decided um, to tell a story. So I said, um, I said, I'm Alison from The Times. I said, but I just want to warn you, you shouldn't believe everything you read in the papers. So they're all they're all like looking at me like, oh, this is a funny start. So I said, yes, you may have read recently. <laughs> you may have read recently that the uh, best strikers in the world are Russian Jews. This is not true. This is not true. You read that because the the the, the reporter filing did so via a copy taker and he was um, commenting on having seen Wales play and being very impressed with Rush and Hughes. <laughs> and this went down such a storm, I can't tell you. They, there, was immediate, there was immediate laughter from people who got it straight away. Then you know how jokes take a while to percolate? By the end, honestly, by the end, they were the way that politicians do, they were stamping their feet in a <laughs> and and thereafter, I I was quite as boring as anyone else, I'm sure. But everything I said was like you could hear a pin drop. I got loads of applause at the end. It was fantastic. Proof, proof. And I, I'd just been told that story in the press box. And um so it was it was in, an incredibly useful piece, and I'm sure it's apocryphal and never really happened. But um, it, it worked. It worked. It worked a treat. So I was very happy for that piece of misheardness. And you got your deserved round of applause, of course, Sir Alison. Can we ask Thomas if he understood what I was talking about? I was just trying to work out. I was wondering how you used to contact your boss twenty years ago. Was it over Zoom or carrier <laughs> pigeon? Or- <laughs> very good. <laughs> Gregor, what about you? I don't know if I have had any misheard. I tell you, one of my first kind of run-ins with uh, a journalist as, as a footballer, and kind of, I remember he, uh, uh, when I was I joined up the Scotland Twenty Ones. Um, I was interviewed by the Scottish Daily Record, just kind of background piece, and you know, asking him where you grew up, and you know, I was down living in Nottingham Forest, telling about leaving school and he said, asking about your family. And I said, yeah, I lived with my mum and uh, moved down and left school and all that kind of things. And then the, 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 I think he quoted me as having said that she used to drive me around the country in a solid, if unreliable Ford Escort to, to training, <laughs> which is something I would never, ever could imagine myself having said. And then also said, uh, and then the headline was, it was all so he basically he made a whole angle about me being really upset about leaving my mum in Scotland behind, living on her own. And the, the headline was because I was moving to Nottingham, my stomach was in knots. <laughs> 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 but there were so many lines, and I've, I read it, and I and I was kind of thinking, you know, I know that sometimes I've now being a journalist, I know that sometimes to make a sentence that isn't really kind of flowing correct and seem okay on the page you might have to tweak the odd little word here and there but there were a few things in that that i thought come on mate i didn't say that (laughs) so i don't know how on earth you know i instantly had a mistrust of journalists and i don't know how on earth 20 years on i am one now myself 
because you get to misquote people all the time mate. Absolutely, it's, easy. Yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's easy don't worry about it um guys thank you so much for being with me for the last hour or so and sharing with me some of those stories uh lots for us to discuss on thursday as well as the champions league returns this week with that massive game for liverpool but tom roddy gregor robertson and alison rudd thank you so much for being with me for the past hour or so and to you listening as well before you go just a reminder you can get yourself a digital subscription to the times and the Sunday Times and get more of our award-winning journalism on all of your devices. Go online, sign up today and you'll get one month free. Just search thetimes.co.uk forward slash the game to get started. We will see you on Thursday. Past Imperfect with Rachel Sylvester and Alice Thompson, a weekly series of in-depth interviews with high-profile figures examining how overcoming the challenges of their early lives shaped the people they've become. This week, Bake Off winner, TV chef and author Nadia Hussain reveals the violent racial abuse she suffered as a British Bangladeshi in 1980s Luton, her struggles with mental health and how baking has changed her life. Racism and that kind of unconscious bias exists in every industry and so now that i'm in them i see the problem with them is that there is nobody else past imperfect with rachel sylvester and alice thompson nadia hussein in her own words now available as a podcast listen on the times radio app or wherever you get your podcasts voiceover describes what's happening on your iphone screen voiceover on settings so you can navigate it just by listening Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone.